spending time with the Lord this morning and in my devotional I came across this following reading from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do you know when God created the heavens and the earth he already saw you and me. And in that moment, he put together all the things that he wanted you and me to accomplish in our lives. Isn't that incredible? He prepared in advance for us to do. That's not just like putting ingredients together and preparing. You, know, you remember the old cookery shows? where they uh, put it all, they mix it all up and they put one in the oven and they said, here's one I prepared earlier and they bring it out because they can't wait the three hours while it cooks. It's not like that with God. God prepared in advance at the start of creation. Before the world was, he already knew that you and me were going to be here and he prepared everything for us. Isn't that mind-blowing? So God's prepared everything in advance for us. You know, we see that in, in history. Uh, yesterday we were looking uh, with the uh, Singalese service, the singular service yesterday afternoon, the book of Haggai. And we reminded ourselves that, you know, the people of Israel sinned. And God raised up Nebuchadnezzar, not a believer by any stretch of the imagination, but someone that God used. He knew, he prepared in advance for Nebuchadnezzar to raise up the Babylonians and to come in and to take into exile the people of Israel. God knew that before the beginning, not to punish the people, but so that the people who were in exile might then turn their hearts back to God. Because you know and I know that when we're in trouble, that's the moment where we reach out to God like no other moment. We reach out when things are going well, yes, but when we're in trouble, you know, when I was sitting there doing my A-level maths exam, and I looked at the questions and I realized I couldn't answer any single question on the paper. And I flipped on the other side and realized it was only on one side of the paper. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. So what do you do in those moments? You pray like crazy. Lord, I haven't studied. But you know all things, Lord. So please impart some of that wisdom into my head and do it right now, please. I've only got two hours. And so... You know, in those moments, the prayers become real. And God sent his people away because when they were in Israel, they turned away from him. And it was only by taking them into exile that he knew that their hearts would then, when they're in trouble, turn back to him. And have the kind of relationship that God desired with his people and the people needed with God. And so God allowed them, he raised up a guy called Nebuchadnezzar, raised up the whole Babylonian army to become the strongest army in the world, came in and they destroyed Jerusalem and everything in it, in 586 BC. But then God knew that if he kept them in Babylon, they would never come back again and they would never restore what God wanted restored. And God's promises about continuing to be faithful to the people of Israel wouldn't happen. And so God raised up another guy called Cyrus in the Persian Empire. And he became so powerful that he went into Babylon and he overthrew the Babylonian army 
And then he, within his heart, he wasn't a believer either. But God used him because he prepared in advance what was going to happen so that his heart said to the Jewish people, you can go back and you can rebuild the temple and you can go back and resettle in your land. You see, God prepared all this in advance. He knew what he wanted to happen. He knew how he was going to work in the lives of people, believers and non-believers in history to accomplish his purposes. And God knows what he wants you to do and what he wants me to do. Before the world began, God was there and he prepared everything for you and for me. And it's not just for your benefit or for my benefit. He knows what we, the purpose he has for you and for me, what implication that's going to have, not just for you, not just for your family, not just for your circle of friends, but what implication it's going to have for generation to come and generation to come. Because God sees the big picture. He sees everything. Which is why he says, you know, it affects to the third and fourth generation. That's how much God sees. There are people whose, you know, God's purpose in their life was to raise up a child. And that child would then go and transform the nations. Or to raise up a grandchild that would transform the nations. Or a great-grandchild that would go and make such a difference in the world. But he placed that in their hearts and in their lives. And that was the purposes or some of the purpose that they had in their life, in their ministry. To be an impact where they were, but also to affect things long after they're gone. But to bring that transformation and be part of that process. Who would have thought when you read the genealogies in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 1, that some of those people like Rahab and others would be part of the family of God, Ruth and so on. They didn't know it, but God had it prepared in advance. We've been looking about going deeper with God. And the reason we're looking at this is because we need to understand what the purpose is that God has for you and for me. And the way we find that purpose, the way we discover that purpose is by going deeper and deeper with God. We need to know what it is God is calling us to do and to be. And we need to be in that relationship with Him so that we can fulfill what He has for us. That's why we're doing and, and looking into these words in Second Peter. And so we said together, firstly, that if we're going to go deeper, we need love. Secondly, that we have to remove the barriers. There's things that hold us back. Our natural self holds us back from going deeper with God. We're in a spiritual battle. And the enemy doesn't want us to go deeper with God, doesn't want us to become more intimate with God. So puts things in our way. There's sin and there's hindrances. And we need to look at both of those. And then we said in 2 Peter 1.3 that he's already given us everything we need. He set it aside. He said, David, this is what I want you to accomplish. And I'm going to give you everything you need to accomplish that. You just need to have access to it. And we reminded ourselves that we have access when we go through the promises of God. And when we, when we remember when those promises become our promises, 
when we pray those promises, when we realize those promises in our lives, then we have access to all the things that God has for us. And last week we looked at this. That if you come just with the promise, it's not enough. You need to come with the relationship. God is our Father. Yes, He's made all these promises, but He wants the intimacy with us. And the way we get the intimacy is that our faith in Him is firstly revealed through goodness. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Goodness is your faith being expressed. It's the the part of Jesus Christ inside of you that comes out and, and it shows itself to everybody. And you remember last week we said, you know, that we need to continue to show that goodness. We need to continue to encourage one another. And all the more as the day approaches, the Bible says. Build each other up. Nobody should come into this sanctuary of God and go out again without being encouraged by people here. That is the goodness being displayed in action through us. And he says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. But then it doesn't just stop there. He said, and to goodness, what comes next? Okay, let me try that again. And to goodness, okay, this is participation time. And to goodness, that's better. Good. Just checking you're still with me here. We're on the same page. Goodness, we need to add to it knowledge. Now, knowledge is something else. You know, we spoke a little bit about knowledge before. When we looked at the, uh, in verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. And we looked at knowledge, and I was thinking the beginning of this week, I thought, well, maybe I'll just skip knowledge and go to the next one. Because we kind of talked a little bit about that. And I was walking into work on Monday, and I thought, you know, Lord, do you want me to talk about knowledge this Sunday? Or should I just skip over that and say, well, we kind of covered that before, so let's just go on to the next one. You know, the first conversation I had on Monday morning, somebody came into my office, and they started talking about what knowledge is and what knowledge isn't. Isn't that amazing? So I just said to them at the end of the conversation, I said, thank you very much for what you've just said to me. Because you haven't realized this, but I was asking God, do I talk about knowledge or don't I talk about knowledge? We've just had a half-hour conversation about the knowledge of God, what it is and how important it is. And God spoke through you into me saying, see, don't skip bits out. Don't do like you used to do with your two boys when, you know, you think they're asleep and you skip to the end of the story in the hope that they won't, you know, come back at you at the missing pages. Then you can go back downstairs again. It says, add to your goodness knowledge. How do we do that? Well, knowledge, knowledge is this. Knowledge is not just what you know up here. Biblical knowledge is this. It's reflecting on the world from a God perspective. Do you remember the picture of the, uh, of the frog? And the horse, knowledge is reflecting on the world 
from a God perspective. When you add goodness to goodness knowledge, what you're doing is you're reflecting on the goodness, the things that you do, your faith in action from a God kind of perspective. Are these the things that God wants me to do? Is this what God wants me to be? That's what knowledge is. We see things like a frog. God sees things like a horse. When I add knowledge, I'm transforming the frog and I'm looking at it as a horse. Do you understand the difference? One person does. Okay, I'll carry on. That's all I need. So how do we accomplish that? How do we build knowledge? Psalm 119 says this. Let's read it out together. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Amen. So what did all that say? Let's go back. Firstly, when we look at ourselves, how do we get the right knowledge about who we are? How do we judge our ways? Well, it says, first of all, we need to live according to His Word. How can you know if you're pure and holy? How do you know? By living according to the Word of God. What we have here in the pages of Scripture is the way that we are to live. This is God's standards for us. Now the problem is, and what tends to happen is, that when I don't like something in God's Word, I bend God's Word to my standards instead of change my standard to God's Word. When there's something I don't like in God's Word, I tend to change God's Word to my standards rather than change my standard to the Word of God. We do it in all kinds of different ways, don't we? We rationalize it away. Well, it's not really. It doesn't really mean that. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve? What happened? God said you can eat anything in the garden, but don't eat the one apple from the tree in the middle. Satan came along and said, what? Did God really say don't eat that? Nah, that can't be right. God knows that if you eat this, you're going to be like him. And so what happens? The woman eats, the man eats, they're there together. They both eat. Why? Because they bend the word of God to their standards. They said, hey, this is good. And therefore, God couldn't really mean this. God didn't really say this. This isn't really what it's all about. Let me 
bend the standard of God to what I want to do. Not transform what I want to do to the standard of God. And as Adam and Eve did that, so we've been doing that ever since. How many times do we read something in the Bible that says, don't do this or do that, and we don't do it or we do it? And then we rationalize it away and we say, well, it, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. It's not really that important. Lord, I'm doing all these other things for you, but this thing, you know, don't worry about it. I'll get around to sorting that out later. You want to remain pure. How do you do it? You live according to the standard. God says, this is my standard right here. As you read it, as you understand it, then live according to that standard. Don't deceive yourselves. You can't get around it. You can't shortcut. You can't rationalize your way out of it. This is the standard of God. And you will either meet the standard or you will break the standard. But don't pretend. The people of Israel did that the whole of their journey, didn't they? You know, it doesn't really matter because we're the people of Israel. We're God's chosen people. So God's not, you know, he's going to look after us. Hey, let's just take the Ark of the Covenant into battle because this is God's very presence. He's not going to let that, you know, be destroyed. We're, we're going to manipulate and we're going to use and we're going to bend the standard. And it'll be okay. Achan sinned. Do you remember at AI? Destroy all the, the things that you find there in the city, in the fortress. Oh, it don't, won't really matter if I just take a little bit of the cash that I see lying around and I'll hide it. God said, no. Don't bend my standards to you. Lift yourself to my standard. Knowledge is when we be, have that opportunity to look at ourselves from the standard of God. When I say to Lord, search me and know me. Judge me, Lord. Show me where my standards, where my self is not in keeping with what you would have of me. And then do that work in me to transform me. That's what knowledge is for ourselves. First, he says, judge your standards by God's standard. Secondly, he says, be honest. I seek you with all my heart. The heart in the Bible is, is myself. Everything that I am, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to be honest with God. I'm going to be open with God. I'm not going to pretend with God. I'm going to be there. Galatians 6, 7 says that God cannot be mocked. Really, we only are deceiving ourselves. God sees everything about us. We need to be open to Him. Say, Lord, I want to seek you with all of my heart. I want to be pure. I want to be holy. I want to have knowledge added to the goodness that you see inside of me. Then he carries on, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Learn the promises of God. That's why I gave out that list. So that we can learn those promises. 
And we can hide God's Word deep inside of us. In the core of who we are, we need God's Word to be there. Those promises and those standards of God in the midst of who we are. Because when we have them deep inside of us, that's where they start to work in our lives. That's where the Spirit starts to use that Word of God inside of us to gradually transform us more and more like Jesus. Hide the Word of God in your heart. Because then He says you're not going to sin. You're not going to be impure if you have the Word of God deep inside of you. So don't just read it. Read it and meditate on it. And he says these things. With my lips I recount all the laws. Speak out the word of God. It's powerful when it's spoken. Last week. I'm not going to do it again. But you remember I asked you last week, those that were here, to look into somebody else's face. That was a really awkward moment for some people, wasn't it? All sort of staring. Ronnie couldn't even look at me at 1.30. Just started giggling like a five-year-old. See, I'm a father. I know what it is to stare. Just glued at him. But then we asked, I asked you to speak into one another. Goodness, encouragement. And those words were powerful words. I still remember what he said to me. When you speak, words are incredibly powerful. They can build you up or they can tear you down. You know words that have torn you down in the past. Some people I meet in their adulthood are still remembering, you know, words that were spoken by teachers or by friends when they were young people. And you know words that have built you up in the past, words that you hang on to and you cling on to when you're going through hard times. They're incredibly powerful. And the psalmist, he says, I, with my lips, I recount. I speak those promises out loud. I speak the word of God out loud. I say those words. I don't just think them. I speak them. Because as I speak them, so they come into being. That's why we, we sing praises. One of the reasons. We sing what a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. We're speaking about the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And as we speak them, we remind ourselves. And, and that presence of Jesus goes deep within us. If we open ourselves to Him. So you speak the word out too. Because it's so powerful when we speak. And then lastly, you meditate on it. And meditate on your precepts. I meditate on your words. And consider your ways. You know, we could have looked at 2 Peter 1 verses 3 to 8. And I could have preached on that in one Sunday and we could have all gone home and go, hey, that was a good sermon. Thank you, Pastor David. Done. But that's not how you meditate on the Word of God. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Yep, got that one. Okay, I can remember that. Let's go. 
And we never stop and say, what does it mean to be good? What does it mean to have knowledge? What does it mean? What does it mean that God has set aside everything we need? It's as we meditate on these, as we allow those words, as I allowed the Word of God from Ephesians 2.10 this morning to just sit there, and I pondered it for a few moments, that I suddenly started to realize the powerful nature of that Word, just one verse. We meditate on the Word of God. Don't just read it. But say, Lord, what, what do you want to say to me through this word today? What do you want to plant deep inside of me today? What do you want to show me today about yourself and about who I am? It's as we meditate on the word of God that we become pure, that we grow in knowledge. You won't grow in knowledge too greatly just by reading the word of God. Karl Marx read the Word of God. Karl Marx could recite the Word of God. When he was a little boy, he used to go to church. They would say, Karl, the reading today is this, and he would do it all from memory. But he didn't meditate on the Word of God. He didn't let the Word of God touch his soul and his spirit and transform him. That's what we need to do. So that the knowledge of God goes deep within us. Add to goodness knowledge. Say, Lord, show me what you see of me. Show me the parts of me that you want me to change. Or that you want me to let you change. Show me the parts of me that... You need to build up. Show me the parts of me that are flourishing and are bearing fruit for you. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's how you add knowledge to goodness for yourself. Now let me ask you something. What do you think when you see this? Whoops. What comes to mind, first of all? Shout it out. Huh? Hoodlums, said a young adult. What else? Eyes hidden. What does that mean? Maybe that they're praying, huh? Probably not. What comes to mind? Come on. Up to no good. You don't recognize yourself, do you? No, no. Okay. Pride? Maybe. Okay. Next one. What comes to mind straight away? The Pope. What comes to mind? I didn't ask you who it was. I just said, what comes to mind? Grand ceremony. What else? Rules. Men in dresses. 
What else? Tradition. All these things. Next one. What comes to mind? Homeless. What else? Destitute. What else? Hungry. What else? Loneliness. What else? They should do something. Or maybe I should do something. What else? Despair? Maybe comes to mind. How did they get there? Is it their fault? Or is it someone else's fault? If I give them money, what are they going to do with it? All these questions go through our minds, don't they? When we see someone with a board like that. What comes to mind? Party. Mike's house on a Friday night. What comes to mind? Dancing? You guys have been too polite. You're in church. Late nights, early mornings, drinking, festivals, what else? Noise, annoying noise, what else? Maybe worship, depends where it is. Could be worship. If it's not worship and it's a club, which it is, then alcohol, drugs, other things maybe come to mind. What comes to mind now? Whoops. What comes to mind? Brexit? Huh? Horror. Horror comes to mind. What else? Huh? Miscalculation. Man, she's an emotive person, isn't she? How come when I put the other pictures up, it's like drawing, you know, blood out of a stone. I put Theresa May up on the screen and all of my, you're just flowing with it. What else? Strong and stable. Maybe not. Pitiful. All these things in different situations. Now let me ask you something. When Jesus looks at every single situation and person I've just shown you, what comes to his mind? My child, orphans. Love. Exactly. You know, in Matthew's gospel, it says this. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed 
and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, Jesus could have looked at all the people there in Israel and said, you bunch of losers. You deserve what's happening. Look, the Son of Man is standing right here. The Messiah that has been prophesied for thousands of years has come, and you don't even recognize him. He come to the very people that have all the prophecies in the Bible, and you don't even recognize who he is. You've been waiting for him for over a thousand years, and you still don't recognize him when he turns up. Even John the Baptist, when he was in prison, had second thoughts, saying, is Jesus really the guy I thought he was? How, how ridiculous is that? And he could have criticized them, and he could have torn them to pieces. But instead, he looked out on all these people. And what did he see? He saw that they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Why? Because he had a heart of compassion. When we have the knowledge of God, when that knowledge is added to goodness, what happens is we start to see people around us with that same compassion that Jesus has. We don't look at Theresa May and see pitiful and all these other things. We look at her and see her with the compassion that Jesus sees her. Or the Pope, or party people, or hoodies, or whoever it is, or the homeless. We see them with the heart and the eyes of Jesus Christ. That is why we need knowledge onto our goodness. It's one thing to stand here amongst ourselves and to encourage one another. It's another thing completely to have the goodness of God flowing through our hearts when we meet the people outside these four walls. That is why we need the knowledge of God, not just here, but here. We need to see people as Jesus sees them. We need to have the same compassion that Jesus has for them. So that we don't see a homeless person and just lock them into a homeless box that we've made up and said all homeless people are homeless because of this and this and this and this. And therefore, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to walk on by. Or all politicians are like this and this and this and this and this. Therefore, I'm just going to laugh at them and criticize them. Or all church people or the Pope is like this or this or this. Therefore... Or all people that go on a Friday night into the parties and into the clubs are like this and this and this. Therefore, I'm going to just lock them all together in one big category. They're all drunk. They're all doing drugs. They all should know better, and it's probably their parents' fault. Or whatever it is, Jesus looked and had compassion. When he was perfectly justified to be critical 
You see, Jesus was motivated by love. And when you're motivated by love, you see the stressed and the hurt and the harassed. People that really underneath it all have no peace. And you become the peacemaker for them. Blessed are the peacemakers. Or you see the helpless, those that have no direction and no hope and don't really know where they're going. And so therefore go and do other things just to try and numb the pain and the emptiness inside. And you can come alongside them and give them that direction. You can give them that power. You can show them that there is meaning. And that before the creation of the world, God had a plan for them to fulfill for their glory and for others' glory and ultimately for God's glory. You see, Jesus shows another way. He responds with compassion. But he also acts too. He tells them and he shows it in action. He proclaims the good news that there is an alternative way and he ministers to their needs. When you have the knowledge of God, when you add to that faith goodness and that goodness knowledge, then that knowledge will stir within you. It will well up in compassion, but the compassion will come through giving people the good news that there is an alternative. And it will heal the sick. It will minister to those in trouble. It will get its hands dirty and its knees dirty. It will come alongside and build people up. It will take time to come alongside other people and to help them in their point of need. That's what it is to have the knowledge of God in your life. You see, Jesus sees past the surface. He sees their hearts. He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't condemn them. But from the goodness within, he ministers and encourages them and shows them an alternative way. So what about you and me? Add to your goodness knowledge. Do you see yourself as God sees you? Do you have that knowledge about who you truly are in Christ Jesus? You know, most people, I find, either see themselves as too high or too low. Most people are either puffed up with pride or they're weighed down with doubt and with low self-esteem. They don't see themselves as God sees them. They say, Lord, who am I? I'm rubbish. I can't do anything. God doesn't say that to you. God says, you're beautifully made. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And I have a purpose for you. And I've provided everything you need for this purpose. And this purpose is not just for you. Not just going to affect you. It's going to affect generations to come. Because that is who I am. And that is what I want to be in you. And for those that are proud and think they've got everything, God says, hey, don't try and usurp my position. You're nothing without me. It's only because of what I can do through you that you ever accomplish anything. Don't be critical. Don't look down your nose at other people or with haughty eyes at other people. Don't laugh at other people's misfortunes. Don't brag about all your own things. Jesus told a parable about that, didn't he? About a guy that was so wealthy and he was thinking about pulling all his storehouses down and building bigger ones because he's made so much money. And God said, tonight, you foolish man, I'm going to take your life. Then what good is it? While you're planning all these things, what good is it? See yourself as God sees you. You are special. You are loved and cherished. You are gifted beyond your wildest imagination. And he has set aside a vision and a mission and a plan for you to accomplish in your life. Because he has chosen you to be in his family. And allow the knowledge of God to impact the compassion of God. The way God sees other people, Lord, teach us to see others in that same way. That I may have the compassion that you have. And therefore, allow your word to flow through me. And that I will get on my knees and serve with that compassion. And bring your healing and your wholeness into their lives. So today, where are you with Jesus? Do you have his knowledge? Lord Jesus, we ask that today you would grant us your knowledge. That I may see myself as you see me in all honesty. Show me what you see when you look at me. Lord, hold a mirror up to all of my life. Not just the bits I like or the bits I don't like, but everything. But a mirror that shows, reflects back to me exactly what you see. Show me, Lord Jesus. Show me how beautiful you've made me. Show me with all the potential that you've placed within me. Show me everything that you can do in and through me for your glory. Show me what you expect of me and what you want me to accomplish with your help and with your spirit. And Lord, give me that same compassion that you have for others. That my goodness may flow with knowledge and that I would see people as you see them and be a channel of your grace and your mercy 
just as you were, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. Because as we grow in these attributes, as our faith grows, our goodness grows, our knowledge grows. So you have promised that we will be effective and productive for you. So grow us, Lord Jesus, for we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.